You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, February 9th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A tribe's push to open federal subsistence hunts and fisheries to Ketchikan residents took a big step last week. The Federal Subsistence Board greenlit a closer look at Ketchikan Indian Community's proposal to redesignate Ketchikan as a rural area under federal rules. If the change goes through, it would greatly expand the ways Ketchikan residents can hunt and fish. The tribe says it's one piece of a fight for an inherent right that's been going on for hundreds of years. But as KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, not everyone is thrilled. It all hinges on one key question. Is Ketchikan a rural community? The Federal Subsistence Board voted unanimously earlier this month to conduct a formal study of the question. That means that the board agreed that Ketchikan met four basic guidelines to be considered for a rural designation, namely that there's information to support the request and that the community has changed in the years since it was designated as non-rural. Now the board can take a closer look at the proposal's merit. Anthony Christensen is the board chair. Oh, they'll just continue to look at the characteristics, you know, of rural and, you know, access to alternative resources, uh, you know, transportation. Um, there, there's the, a bunch of criteria, you know, characteristics of uh, and uses of the surrounding resources, uh, things like that. So they look, uh, you know, more closely at the uh, community itself. Christensen says he doesn't know what the board will decide, but pointed to Saxman, a smaller community on Ketchikan's road system. The town of about 400 was redesignated as rural in 2016. When they went through it with Saxman, you know, uh, obviously, Saxman got its rural status, and it's a similar in nature, even though, you know, they, they were able to distinct their community as a different community, still the, the majority of the characteristics are similar in nature. But uh, based off of uh, that, that's what they'll be looking for, is if they meet a similar criteria like uh, as Saxman did when they went through their process. Trixie Bennett, the Ketchikan Indian community's past president and a tribal council member, was one of a handful of tribe representatives who testified at the meeting. She says this is a hopeful step forward. My great-great-great-grandfather was fighting for hunting and fishing rights way back in 1890, um, right after the Organic Act took away rights to our land and access to the land. Um, And here we are 130 years later. Um, finally making some progress for the people of Ketchikan, for the native people of Ketchikan. Bennett says much of the work has involved the state's Department of Fish and Game, the Department of the Interior, and the Office of Subsistence Management. But despite a sense of hope among many in Ketchikan, others worry the change will open up new problems when it comes to resource management. On nearby Prince of Wales Island, at least one key subsistence resource is already stressed. Clinton Cook is the president of the Craig Tribal Association, the tribe based in Prince of Wales Island's largest community. When you start allowing cities rural status, it will take resources from members in our communities that have rural status. For years, residents have worried over declining deer populations. Cook says that more hunters coming to the island would mean less chances for locals to fill their freezers. Hunters from rural communities get to start deer season a month early in July. Rural hunters also can hunt in more areas than non-rural hunters. You're inviting two to 3,000 more people to come and take a resource that's already strained. Cook also mentioned Saxman's rural status, but he says Saxman and Ketchikan are different places despite the fact that they're connected to the same road system on the same island. It took Saxman many years, many attempts to become, to become rural. Saxman is a different community than Ketchikan. 
Cook says his tribe will be drafting a resolution against a rural designation for Ketchikan. He says he's working to rally opposition from tribes across the island. If Ketchikan becomes rural, who says Juno can't apply it to be rural status and or Anchorage? And then the whole state might as well be considered a rural area. It's not clear how widespread opposition is on Prince of Wales Island. Federally recognized tribes in Heidelberg, Klawak, and Kassan did not return requests for comment on the proposal. And as it happens, Christensen, the federal subsistence board chair who voted to advance the proposal, is the mayor of the city of Heidelberg. Cook says that Ketchikan's tribe should have come to the island and met with local tribes before pushing for the redesignation. Bennett, from Ketchikan's tribe, says there was some outreach, but not enough. But we know we need to reach out to the tribes over there on Prince of Wales, and we're looking forward to that work. She says it's a priority going forward, and Kassan and Heidelberg have already invited Ketchikan's tribe to visit. Bennett says the groups will be looking into ways to protect local hunters on Prince of Wales Island. She pointed to regulations that could prohibit Ketchikan hunters from harvesting on the island if the population got too low. A final decision on Ketchikan's status isn't expected until 2025. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The closures of two childcare centers have made Juno's childcare shortage even worse. Now, childcare workers, advocates, and state legislators are calling for a collaborative approach to finding solutions. KTOO's Katie Anastas reports. Barbara Mitchell opened the Aurora Lights Child Care Center in 2018 at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. The church in Juno's Mendenhall Valley provided an ideal space and discounted rent. Mitchell says church families donated thousands of dollars to get it up and running. The centers seem to be coming and going a lot for many different reasons, and uh, we just thought maybe it would be more steady if the church actually took it and ran with it. But Aurora Lights lasted less than five years. In October, Aurora Lights told families they'd be shutting down in March when their administrator was set to leave. A drop in enrollment and loss of staff after the announcement forced them to close even earlier. Christy McGuire is the pastor at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. She says the shutdown was the culmination of ongoing hiring challenges. When you're paying $35 an hour and you're still not able to staff, something else needs to be uh, addressed. Aurora Lights isn't alone. According to the State Department of Health, a fifth of Alaska's licensed child care providers have closed since the start of the pandemic. Now, child care workers, advocates, and state legislators are calling for a collaborative approach to rebuilding the workforce. And a bill in the Alaska State Legislature could help. The bill, sponsored by Anchorage Democratic Representative Zach Fields, would give child care providers the ability to collectively bargain with the state's health department. Fields says the idea is to give providers a voice when the state makes decisions about funding and regulations. I think the department should be very sensitive to input from the sector so that whatever they're contemplating in terms of, you know, revised training, safety kind of requirements, they should listen to sector input up front. Training requirements make it harder to hire employees at all levels. Mandatory annual training is usually unpaid and can't be completed on the job. Historically, we've kind of pushed training without any way of rewarding people or keeping people. In other words, there have not been sufficient financial incentives for people to get trained and stay in the sector. The bill would also establish a child care provider fund, which would give financial support to providers through grants. 
Juneau City government took a similar approach to its local child care shortage in 2018, when the Assembly appointed a child care committee. Blue Scheibler was on that committee. She's the executive director of the nonprofit Southeast Alaska Association for the Education of Young Children. You can't pay a worthy wage and also make it affordable for parents. That kind of brought about the realization, which had been just talked about universally across the nation for really decades, that there needs to be a public subsidy of child care. The city created a loan fund for child care startups and began giving direct subsidies to child care providers. But as the industry deals with the labor shortage, Scheibler says it also needs help from the state. To make child care jobs attractive again and make people want to come to them and be able to afford to do them, we need a, lot, a sizable investment. And it's possibly one that a municipal government can't afford on its own. As legislators decide whether to take on that investment, many Juno parents are stuck on wait lists, hoping to claim spots at the handful of centers left. In Juno, I'm Katie Anastas. The harbor closest to Wrangell's downtown is also the harbor that's in the worst shape. That was only made worse this winter after a boat sank on Christmas Day, causing major damage to a float used by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Wrangell's government is hoping to use the poor condition of the harbor to leverage tens of millions of dollars in federal funding. And as part of the application, they're hoping to hear from year-round and transient harbor users about safety issues at the harbor. Borough manager Jeff Good explained to assembly members at a January meeting that Wrangell would be on the hook for any costs over what they're granted. The borough is applying for $25 million in funding from the U.S. Department of Transportation. The estimate right now is $26 million, so, but I think we would try to do the design to come in at the $25 million. But what this does is it says if there is any cost overruns that we, as a, we agree as a community that we would make up the difference in any cost overruns. The funding would replace floats, including the Reliance float, which is connected to the pier at the Harbor office, the Standard Oil float, Inner Harbor, and the Airplane float. With the understanding that Wrangell might not get all or even most of the money it's applying for, Good told the Assembly he hopes the borough can build in some flexibility. I'd actually like to have kind of, here's the primary that are like the $15 million worth, and then if we could do kind of option A, option B, option C, and then depending on what the total cost comes in at, then we can kind of make the cut where we want to. But I got to make sure we can do that within the grant requirements. If not, then we just kind of need to keep it within the scope. So we may not be able to do one of the pier areas or float areas. Borough documents show the administration hopes to apply for the federal funding by the end of this month. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.